Movers, shakers, makers. What makes creative people tick and how do they find and develop their inspiration? Welcome to the podcast that draws back the curtain on the inventive mind and its artistic process. I'm Emma Lister. Finnish circus artist Sakri Manisto is a performer recognized for his innovative juggling and his enigmatic stage presence. A frequent collaborator with some of the world's best circus companies, he's also one of the co-founders of the circus company Ajit Cirque, through which he has initiated several arts festivals. Full disclosure, he is also co-director of Makeshift Company with me, and we're married. But I'm going to chat to him about two performances in particular that I'm not involved in. Young, a piece he performs with a chamber orchestra, and Unum, his new virtual circus project. Before we met, and before I saw much, if any, contemporary circus, I think that, like a lot of people, the word circus would conjure a circus tent and a ringmaster and animals jumping through hoops, which I now know is probably more accurately described as traditional circus. I wondered... What would be the best way to describe the difference between traditional circus and the world that you are more involved in, which would be contemporary circus? Well, I feel like there's probably many different ways to answer this question, and mine is probably going to be uh, quite an ambiguous one. But commonly, I would say the distinctions are often um, said to be that a traditional circus is performed in a tent, in a manege, and contemporary circus is performed on a stage or elsewhere. Traditional circus uses a lot of animals. Contemporary circus uses none. And thirdly, that the contemporary circus has another element like a narrative or a theme. And the traditional circus is, is mainly focused on, on tricks and skill. So I guess this would be the explanation that you'd hear most commonly, but I'd say that none of those external features would be completely true. Like I've seen many performances performed in a tent with animals, and I'd say I'd categorize them as contemporary circus. So it could be more to do with the context and how the, and even a subjective context, how the audience member views it, how the, more importantly, how the maker um, views what they're doing, identifies into the canon of the new circus or contemporary circus rather than the traditional or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's, there's this old code in the traditional circus, that is that um, in, in, in circus you do not talk about politics or religion. And traditional circus is indeed like it's it's a pretty huge uh, melting pot of cultures and shapes and colors and all sorts and it, it kind of celebrates the the diversity it celebrates all the, the different forms and and like the the bearded women and all of this at least on the outside it does seem to be accepting everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I can't help but thinking about the sort of half-naked women being sawn in half or or thrown around by by half-naked uh, macho men 
kind of enforcing those <laughs> those roles as well. Yeah. We, I mean, the traditional circus almost carries a certain naivety in inside that it's somehow outside the society, you know, which is also a very romanticized idea that the traditional circus is somehow outside the society and and it doesn't abide to the the norms and so far it would be outside the it would be apolitical whereas the uh, contemporary circus can have and 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 has a lot of a lot of political um themes and um topical performances are being made mm-hmm. so if that perhaps slightly clears up um for for the layman the world of circus that you're in which would be newer contemporary circus um I wondered if if there if you've had misconceptions about whether or not one can make a living doing it because I know certainly um, as a dancer I would sometimes have people querying what what my day job was have have you had any any of that as a as a juggler? Well, it always raises an eyebrow when I say what I do for a living and mm, yes yes a lot and and. It's a mystery to the field as well. Like, how do we all kind of make <laughs> make our living? So it it must be a mystery to to the people outside the 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 art form as well. Mm-hmm. S- certainly, I mean, living in Finland, Finland is quite big in circus and contemporary circus, and and there are I might be lying by saying like closer to a hundred circus clubs in a country with population of 5 million. So people are kind of aware of circus. There's lots of hobbyists, lots of hobby circuses, and, and people know a little bit more what circus is. And they've probably seen a show or two. And you started in a in a circus club. Yeah, my mom started a circus school when I was about nine years old. And she had no prior experience in circus. She just got very enthusiastic about it and we started doing some bits of tumbling and acrobatics juggling and balancing and and she invited a few professional teachers to come over in the summertime and and did juggling grab you what was it was it did you feel drawn to it it came a little bit later it it was about when i was 14 there was a group of us who got really into juggling and we just started juggling many, many hours a day together, all the spare time essentially at home. And it was just a fun thing to do together and get better. And maybe we were a little bit competitive as well. Like there was, there was four of us and we wanted to be better than the other one. And But as well, we were having fun mm-hmm. making up new new, new passing patterns or new, mm-hmm. new tricks or <laughs> new things to do within juggling. So it was, it was fun to to spend time with but then maybe later on we kind of got dispersed a little bit in different parts of Finland and we each continued juggling alone each of us slightly different amount per day I at that point it was probably um, a small escape for me and <laughs> slightly addictive so I, I used to juggle a lot when when I I moved away from home when I was 15 into another mm-hmm. part of Finland and and then at that that time, it kind of filled a um, large part of the day when I wasn't in school. That's more my picture of someone practicing juggling, that it's a fairly solitary way to practice. 
Is that is that unfair or? No, massively. I mean, the the hours are are just huge, and and it's not as as physically demanding as say say ballet or or if you if you're doing another more more physical discipline, it's not like you can actually continue for eight hours a day or ten hours a day even. Like I like I did on 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 weekends when I didn't have school, I probably juggled at best like ten hours or all the waking hours essentially. Those, well, almost, but a lot. And you can you can do it. It's not physically that demanding, but you just need a lot of time. And I went th- I went through a lot of music at that point. Is that where is that where your uh, your cult video Juggle Doll came from? That solitary juggling to music. Yes, definitely. It's it's slightly. Later, if I moved away from home around 96, I started filming the Juggle Doll around 2000 when I, I, I got my first camera and my first computer. Maybe I should set it up for people a little bit more. It was a, a juggling video from... In 2000, 2006, I would say. Okay, so over four years. Uh, and then you released it on DVD. It has a bit of a cult following among a certain generation of juggler, I think it's fair to say. Can you describe what occurs in the video? Well, I I filmed it myself. I actually had to film it twice because my, my computer crashed and I I had no backups. And the tapes that I had were, I, I was pretty poor. I didn't have any money. So I, I just used like three tapes that I had over and over again. And and so all the all the juggling that I had filmed was kind of, gone and then the computer crashed and I couldn't recover any of the files so I had to redo it by memory as I I, I was literally just finished um um but it probably became better it was I had a lot of drink in the night when the computer crashed and I could I realized it was the only only (laughs) only um sort of reasonable solution reasonable thing to do but yes so the video has me me juggling in a pretty confined space. It's filmed in. I I was actually studying in a circus school in Turku, um, and we had keys to the school so that we can use the premises whenever outside the school hours as well. And I I I did uh, film my video in the evenings. It's me juggling clubs, and I made the music for it, and I made a few animations. Well, not even animations. The Puppet. I don't know. It's a, it's an insult to call it puppetry, but um, it's it's I I manipulate a puppet on on the on the video, and the puppet is a, a short necked giraffe, which I I I enjoyed the idea <laughs> that it's a giraffe with a short neck. Uh, I love that you uh, spent longer describing your your puppetry than what you're doing which is some pretty astonishing club juggling it was probably new at the time it was i i never i was one one difference i think to to many other jugglers or my peers at the time was that i i was never into making sequences as such or or working with sequences or or i was always working with patterns it kind of what would be the difference between a sequence and a pattern if you don't know anything about juggling? Well, sequence would be something that um, goes in a line. So you have a line from A to B that has a beginning and an end, but a pattern is is just a repeating pattern with no beginning or an end. You can run it indefinitely. If 25-year-old Zachary made Juggle Doll now, would it be on social media? Probably be an app. 
I would I would love it to be an app, not <laughs> or a website, some kind of an interaction, in, interactive thing. It, I I don't think I I I'm not that drawn into the social media thing, but I like an interaction, and I think it would be an app or a website that would play with you, or I think it would be something like that more than. Because I think part of why it was influential in its in its own special way was because perhaps there wasn't this profusion of media online on social media where where you can watch people doing astonishing tricks for you know a minute on their Instagram feed or or whatever. Um, back then, you if you wanted to watch different kinds of juggling from people that you didn't know you would probably have to seek out a DVD. Those would be your influences. So it was a much more, um, it was like a, you'd have a deeper connection or maybe it was like slightly more intimate connection between someone who is watching a DVD probably repeatedly um, because you've invested a lot more ordering the DVD, buying the DVD, putting it in. You're not just like scrolling on your phone or flicking through someone's someone's trick. So it's it's a it's a different kind of connection than the way people interact now on social media. Probably yes, and I I heard a thing it was because the DVD was actually it was a pretty fancy system. It was two-sided. So the other one had PAL for Europe and the other side had NTSC for format for the US. And it was sold in in the US and Japan and 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 in in within Europe. And but then I heard an anecdote when I was performing in Montreal many years afterwards. Uh, somebody came in to me in a bar and and asked like, "Are you Sakari from the Juggle Doll?" And I said yes. And then he he told me that the NTSC side didn't work. The DVD it didn't work. So the people in the US they they bought the DVD. They couldn't make it work. And then they had to chase somebody who had somehow got it into their computers to share it with them and then that created oh, no. like another level of of demand <laughs> to see it because people were telling like have you seen this this is crazy and then you can't yeah, actually but you can't get you it can't get it you can't see it and i thought that was pretty funny that's 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 literally the opposite of social media <laughs> <laughs> so do you think social media has changed juggling yes of course but in the same way that it's, it's changed so many other things it's um yeah of course i mean the the level of skill out there like like mentioned earlier that it's a pretty solitary thing you kind of like you just need to put in a lot of hours yourself and now with all the all the things all the all the videos available online you can just get inspiration and see what other people are doing and and copy copy what they're doing and it's just lifted the level of juggling like so much when i when i was practicing nobody had nobody did seven balls like there's no way and now seven balls is kind of the the base like kids that are 12 come to ask me like how's your seven ball back crosses or how's your seven ball over the heads and it's just so beyond Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's a Another anecdote from my from my brother actually, he was organizing this Diablo convention in um, central Finland. It's a convention, but they had competition within. And then from out of nowhere, a boy who was eleven years old just beat the 
beat the crap out of everybody else who had like nobody knew him he just like signed in to come and join the convention and then and he was just like way above the level of everybody else like professionals everybody else and he was just this lone boy who had been practicing in the farm in the middle of nowhere watching videos in youtube and thinking like this is this is what it must be and they were like blown away because nobody had ever seen him and he just looked online and thought this this is what i this is what people do you you don't use social media that much for your juggling you most of your juggling life is um rehearsing for shows or on stage i think it's fair to say um and i'd like to talk about one show in particular named uh, Yong, and Yong is actually it's the name of the show, but it's it's more accurately I think the name of a piece of music which is composed by a contemporary classical composer Finnish named Lotta Vennakoski, and um, Yong translates as it must. I we we actually funny thing we never talked about this with with Lotta what the name means <laughs> I never question it. Um, um, but the piece the piece of music. I believe is about juggling or about a juggler. How did the collaboration between you and the composer start? Was it a conversation or did she know anything about juggling? Well, we started working with Lotta. We had a meeting first, a few meetings, and and she was perhaps a little bit doubtful with how it's going to work with a juggler. Um, but then she accepted the challenge and then she saw me juggle quite a lot. I sent her a lot of videos of me juggling and and we talked about juggling. She'd phone me and, and she timed, for example, like how long, like different timings of an object in the air, like how long it takes for a ball to fly up in six meters and come down and where the peak is. she got some of the solitary work solitary atmosphere from all the, the videos that i sent of me alone in in a space juggling maybe there's some some kind of a yeah solitary in the music as well and i think it really captures sort of the two um opposing sides of juggling that you work alone a lot and it's very introvert, but then when you're performing, you're supposed to, well, not supposed to, but you are performing to an audience and you can have a dialogue and you can be fun and you can entertain people, but all the all the hours that you put in are done alone. And that contrast is, I think, um, captured by the piece. It's really not such a stretch to see how classical music or any kind of music would blend well with juggling in terms of creation, because juggling is is all about rhythm and pattern, and it it is um, it it would be easy to make it seem like music manifest physically. You have a history of taking performances to unusual places. I'm thinking of 
you know, the, the original Silence Festival in Lapland, which you were involved in early on. Um, I'm thinking of Bert, the Birch Festival that you started in St. Mary's Secret Garden in London. And now your most recent project, Unim. Um, can you tell me a bit about Unim? Um, Unim is a performance to a 360 camera. And it's... Um, Unim in Latin means solitary. So it's performed alone. It's often solos. So far it's been solos and you watch it alone with your either your virtual reality headset or your mobile phone and um and headphones. So it's a it's a series of, of mini performances for a virtual um, viewing experience. It's not a project that is about COVID-19 or the pandemic or the increased um, number of people who are solitary or the increased amount of time we're spending home alone. But it was um, put into action during the pandemic. Did, does it have a heightened, like, was it brewing before the pandemic and now it just has a heightened meaning? Yeah, I had it in my head for maybe two or three years to that as a, as a technology it would be very nice to try and play with it. The 360 camera and the, the small experiences of that as, a, as an audience member, I've always felt that it doesn't really take advantage of the sort of intimate nature of the, of the media. Like I remember seeing um, Björk exhibition in the Somerset House maybe three or four years ago even, and, and there, there were lots of virtual reality headset performances and there was one of them where she was on a beach really close to to my face singing to me and i felt that strongly i felt that this is this is how it can can work like because you you do get so close and it is kind of one-to-one experience almost and i i thought the other things that I've seen didn't really take advantage of that. So this, um, the Unum, I, I, it stayed with me in a sense that I, I wanted to try and play with the technology and try to play with making a performance to, to the camera. I remember that exhibition, that piece was also edited and I thought that hindered a little bit on the, because she kept on disappearing a little bit and I see the point, but it, for me, it felt strongest when, when she was just there singing. And and so in Unum we don't edit anything. We don't. It's it's from beginning to end. It's a same shot. So it is like a performance, and you see um, you see the mistakes and you see the sweat and like you would in a show. Yeah, I remember that Bjork uh, virtual reality exhibit, and I think at the time we agreed that it worked best when the application of the VR was at its simplest. So when the viewer is the center of the world, like a camera tripod, um, but but we can look around 360 at the, the created world. Uh, that's, what, that's what Unum is like. One thing that occurred to me is uh, I like the inversion of the circus ring in Unum, where this, you know, normally the stage would be in the middle and the audience is sat around, but it's the reverse of that. So <laughs> the audience is in the middle and the performance is all around. Yeah, def- definitely. And it's not... It's definitely not an exploration of technology. Like that's definitely not in the key. I'm not that tech um, oriented. 
Um, and also, I'm I like people and I like performances. Um, but but also in in Unum we don't have any additional sound. It's all the sounds come from that location, from that filming with the camera. There's no like if if one performance has music, then you play the music in in that location with the stereo set that you have in a house. And I I like sort of there's almost a this is maybe the pandemic side of it, but when we do all these Zooms and meetings online and you get a peek of somebody's home or house, the same kind of happens with, you know, you, you get dropped into a location where you haven't been, you get dropped into perhaps somebody's house or somebody's park or some place that some someone likes going or passes every day. You get a peek at their, their life in, 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 in a way. Was there a piece that definitively changed everything for you? Yes. And it's it's from my childhood when I was probably nine again, nine, ten, early, early, early school years. And um I was in a very small town in eastern Finland in school and every month or quite frequently we had performances in the school gym like pretty random performances came in and one of the performances that we saw was um, Bommi and Gommi, Emma Numminen and Pedro Hietanen, these grown-up men dressed as um, hare and maybe a dog um, but they, they, they'd come in and, and perform songs in, in, in the outfits and I thought this is it's great if you can do this for a living. And I thought that really, like, I mean, I don't know. There was something really liberating about the way they were performing and, and singing and and dancing. And I really enjoyed that. And, and that probably opened my eyes to, like, how much fun and how good. Were, were they children's performers? Yes. Well, they're, they're musicians, but um, one of them is an academic, actually. And, and he, he'd sing a lot of german language songs and he'd sing with wittenstein and like he they they do all sorts of different projects together and this is one of the projects but like like it's kind of for kids but maybe not necessarily because some some of the songs could be from the finnish law like the 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 constitution like parts of the constitution for example and (laughs) um yeah, so it was pretty, it was avant-garde. I wish this still happens and takes place in, in rural um, villages. And I, I, I've always wanted to go into those places and sort of give back that um, experience that I got. Can you think of a piece that was challenging or you didn't like necessarily, but has value? Like maybe the Björk exhibit where leaving it, you would have given it three stars, but obviously it's informed something that you've done later on. I'm going to stretch the question a little bit and tell you about our performing experiences in rural Finland in Lapland and also the okay, lake district of Saimaa, where we traveled by, by a boat and performed in piers and pubs. 
we wanted to perform in places where nobody else had performed before. That was the idea. And we had a performance combining poetry, circus and music. And so we called pubs and asked if we could come and perform for free. And often they didn't answer, they just hung up. And so we, we, we thought that's an probably an open invitation then. So we went, we went anyway. But as we went in and asked, could we perform here tonight? And the pub owners often said that, well, fine, if you if you drove 500 kilometers to be here, then then do what you have to do. There, there were places also that were excited to have us and 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 said that on the phone that, of course, of course, you're welcome. And but I remember the moment of performing to to these potentially in the beginning of the evening it could have been just two people in the audience or the audience in in the pub and starting the performance and looking the 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 men looking at us with sort of content and amusement in one expression and looking looking at their eyes whilst doing my juggling with 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 my my poet friends it was it was a very strange and it was a very interesting position to be as a performer when when the audience does not want you there and and it's very nice to feel that not everybody is as excited about what i'm doing as i am it's a very good feeling i thought the evenings often ended up as having a few drinks with the locals and sometimes we were offered a, a nice sauna in the end or and there was one night that I remember in a village with only seven people living in um, where the the pub owner started calling calling their friends and then the word got out and then we had already performed for an hour and a half and then two men completely frozen it was minus 25 or something outside they had come with a motor sledge from 20 kilo, kilometers away where they, they were logging. So they stepped in and we said, we're kind of finishing just now. And they said, you're not finishing now. <laughs> and so we continued for another hour and a half. And then that was, uh, that was one of the best nights of performing that I've had. And even now, when I if I perform on a bigger stage, I, where you cannot have that one, one-to-one contact with the audience, I try. I still kind of remember these rural places and the feeling that I had. Wow. Okay. I I don't think I'd heard that story. Um, that sounds memorable. <laughs> all right. Last question: Is there someone that you'd like to nominate for us all to check out who we may not know about? Well, I was thinking about Odi Tarkiainen, a composer from Finland. She's she's young classical um, classical composer, but she also has a background in 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 jazz. And I've had the honor to to have worked with her in in Lapland in the Silence Festival um, for for a few years time. And and I got to ask her to come and be the artistic director of of that festival, and which was a great um, honor that she said yes as well. Um, but her her music is is challenging and and rewarding to to listen and she's just released a new album that i think we should all go and buy and listen oti tarkiainen's new album the earth spring's daughter and saivo is out now
For more information about Zachary, visit his website, ZacharyManisto.fi, and do check out his Unum project. It's pretty cool. All you need is a smartphone or tablet, headphones, and a spare 10 minutes. It's free and available on Agit Cirque's YouTube channel. All links will be in the show notes. Check it out. Okay, closing credits. This has been a Makeshift Company production. Follow us on Instagram at Makeshift Company or check out our website makeshiftcompany.com where there is a link to the podcast website for show notes. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen. Also, if you rate and review the show, it would be most appreciated. Thanks for listening. And now from the cutting room floor, I give you... Yeah, and and often in circus world, they... There'd be lots of people saying, like, uh, we wish that the parliament worked like circus, like <laughs> the, yeah. the order, order in the in the circus is just different world. Like, if, if you don't have that order and the procedures, people people will die. <laughs>